Welcome to another great episode of the Guyao Now Show. I'm super excited that Tommy Barretts is on today. And Tommy has, and our conversation's been interesting. We talk about building a business to sell it. We talk about for purpose, about moving your uh, your entire life halfway across the country to pursue a dream. It's kind of crazy stuff, but he offers a lot of great advice about getting out of your own way. So let's check out what Tommy has to say. Welcome to another great Guyao Now show. I'm your host, Bob McIntosh, and today I'm very excited to have my good friend, Tommy Barretts, on. Um, Tommy is kind of a badass entrepreneur, um, and he's got a really cool story, and I'm excited for you guys to hear it. But uh, I actually met Tommy through a mastermind that I'm a part of, and I can't stress enough um, a lot of the guests that I've had on and I'm going to be having on are people that I've met through masterminds that are just doing cool things because something cool happens when you take the time to invest into yourself and surround yourself with the right people. You meet people with amazing stories who are doing great things, have gotten out of their own way, and most importantly, are just awesome human beings. And so all of those things I think are true of Tommy. And I'm really excited for him to be here because uh, not only has he built his business, he also sold it. So if you're interested in kind of figuring out how that works, and obviously for a lot of us, that's sort of maybe the end goal. Um, this man's actually successfully done that. So I'm very excited for the show. Very excited to have him on. Tommy, welcome, buddy. and happy you are here. Dude, thanks for having me on. That was too kind of an intro, to be honest. Uh, I'm not that good. <laughs> You, you can say it, you know, it's okay. If you say you're not, I'm going to stick with my story. <laughs> I appreciate you, bro. How you been? I'm good. I'm good. So, um, yeah, no, like I, and, and by the way, I'll, I'll have Tommy share some of his story. I don't want to take all, all his thunder, but, um, you know, like I said, you, you've been successful. You built a business, you sold it, um, moved your family halfway across the country to pursue your dream and are living that, that life now, which I think is, admirable and crazy and scary and awesome all at the same time. Um, but for those who don't know you, just a, a little bit, of, like, tell us a little bit about your background, sort of, you know, what your business was, where you got, and, and we'll go from there. Okay, cool. So um, a little bit of my background is I started a business back in 2005 in Houston, Texas, from an apartment. And I uh, don't have a college degree. I did graduate from high school. I have I had no business acumen whatsoever, uh, but I worked for a company and it was a pool company. And I, as I was working, I realized, man, I could do this for myself because I understood the operation. I didn't really know the business side of things. So in 2005, I started a business from my apartment and I eventually scaled that business to have over 200 employees and turned it into a multi-million dollar business, which I then sold in 2017. Um, so there was a lot that I learned along the way, um, knowing the operation kind of made the, the business, I, I don't want to say easy, but easier for me because I knew how to actually run it. Um, but like the business side of things, I knew nothing. I didn't know anything about sales. I didn't know anything about accounting. I didn't know anything from anything. And so I just, uh, you know, worked really hard and maybe I got lucky. I don't know. <laughs> I think I think there's a little bit of both, right? I think we do tend to get lucky, but I think at the same time, we uh, we create our own luck in many ways by putting ourselves in the right places and the right opportunities. So, okay, so let, let me ask you this. You start this company, you know, you, you're working for this pool company, which is awesome. You're like, hey, I think I can do this myself. And you start it from your apartment. You got no college degree. Um, you know, what's going through your head at that point in time of, you know, man, like, 
are, were, were you afraid like people aren't going to take you seriously because you're working from your apartment and because, you know, uh, you, you don't have a college degree or was it like, eh, screw it. No one has those things. Let's just roll with it. Like what, what was your thought? No, process? no. So like I actually felt extremely inferior. I felt like that I had to work, you know, four times as hard as anybody else because I felt like because I didn't have a college degree, it was a disadvantage. And so because of that, I worked extra hard and like hindsight's always 2020, but I realized because I didn't have a college degree, it was actually an advantage because it made me feel inferior. So I worked harder than everybody else. And therefore I was able to, to scale the business a lot faster than anybody else would, because I'm like, man, you know, this person over here has a college degree. This person over here has a college degree. And then working from my apartment, obviously when you start a business, you want everybody who's a potential customer to think you're like this big robust company and you're not doing it from your apartment. Um, so you try to hide that from people to where it's not like, Oh, I'm working out of my apartment because you feel like I'm not going to get any customers if they find out that I'm just this little dude with this little business who's working from my apartment. So again, it made me kind of act as if like, I was acting as if I had a giant corporation behind me that I had built, but in reality, I was working out of my apartment. So those two things, which I felt like were a disadvantage later on, I found out that they were really an advantage for me. So um, it just, you know, took a little extra work, um, but I'm happy. I wouldn't change a thing. I wouldn't go back and get a college degree. I wouldn't go back um, and change a thing that I did because it, it actually ended successfully for me. Perfect. I mean, hey, that makes sense, right? If you have an exit of that, of that magnitude, you're not like, yeah, but you know, I did like this, this worked out pretty well. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so let me ask you this. So you, you, you know, you, you felt like you had to work harder, you didn't have this college degree. Um, were, and, and you said, hey, you know, you were acting as if you had this big corporation behind you. Was this like a fake it till you make it type deal? Or was it just like, hey, like, I'm just, I'm embodying what it would be like if I did have that? I'm more embodying. I'm not fake it till you make it. You know, like obviously I had mentors along the way, you know, Jack Canfield, the success principles was a great book that I read. And that, that book actually shifted my mindset into the thought of actually I can become a entrepreneur. And so then I read, you know, another book by Robert Kiyosaki, rich dad, poor dad, which kind of gives you financial advice and literacy. And so it was more of an embodiment of like, I'm a visionary. I'm a very much a visionary. And so what I would do is just visualize that I did have this big corporation behind me and I made myself feel like I had this corporation behind me. And that's kind of what I'm talking about when I say act as if, um, it's not, I'm not lying to anybody. I'm not telling people, Oh, I have this corporation, but I'm visualizing having it just as when I exited the business, everybody was always like, Oh, like, like, I mean, that's crazy. Like you did it. Like, how do you feel? And, and I'm like, no different. Like in my mind, I exited this business five, 10 years ago because that was the vision I had and it actually came to fruition. So like, I don't, I already had the feeling that I sold the business. It wasn't like all of a sudden it was like a, like an impulse sell. And I was like, wow, I did it. It's, it was a vision I had the entire way. So going back to your question, it was act as if it was an embodiment of that feeling and, and vision of actually having a big corporation. No, I say, and I, I love that. One of the things that, you know, and I'm guilty of this too. I used to teach like, hey, kind of sort of fake it till you make it. Because when it comes to online and digital marketing, especially, which is my forte, like there's a lot that you can do to fake it to, to, until you make it. Um, but then I started realizing, man, you know what? I think authenticity is is better and, and, and more useful. And so it's not necessarily that you're faking it anymore as much as just saying like, hey, I'm just going to act like I have this. And the cool thing, at least in my experience, and it seems like this is probably yours as well, is that when you just act 
as if you have these things, you don't have to actually say you do or don't because people just assume that you do um, because you're acting like you do versus like, oh yeah, like, hold on, let me, let me pull my curtain from my closet closed so that you, you, know, you don't have to see my dirty apartment. Yeah, right. And, and so like to, to add to that, you know, when you're, when you act as if, like there's also some some things I didn't realize till later on down the road, right? Like obviously owning a business when you're a small company, there's some advantages to that. And I didn't, until I started doing consulting, I didn't realize it because everybody wants to have this big badass business. But what they don't realize is like when you're a small business and you're just getting started, there's advantages to that. Like someone's, well, what's the advantage to going with you versus this big company? I'll tell you what the advantage is. You're dealing with the owner of the company and you're not having to go through a bunch of people to get decisions made, you're dealing with a decision maker. And so I think as a client, that's attractive because when somebody goes to a bigger business, they're like, man, I'm just another number to this big business. I don't matter to them. And when I want something done, I have to wait for them to ask 14 different people to make a decision. But if I go with this smaller company, I can utilize that because now I'm dealing with somebody who's going to make decisions. And when there's a problem, they're going to handle it immediately. And so that's as a, from a customer standpoint, that's to me, that's, that's better for them than going with a, a bigger company. You're just going to, you're just going to get lost in transition. That's totally true. I love that. It makes me think of um, oh, two things. One, um, the show The Office, right? They're selling paper. I don't know if anybody, if any of you listening or watching have seen the show, but they're just selling paper, right? It's a commodity at this point in time. Um, but they always talk about, hey, like you're dealing with us. It's a small little company. We're not Staples or Office Depot or the big guys where it's like you just whatever. Um, so, and, so I love that point of view. And, um, and I love also love what you said about you know, 14 different people to get, to get an answer. Um, I don't know if you ever watched the movie... Um, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but there's like this super bureaucratic um, uh, race that, uh, that you know they have to have forms for everything. And he's like, "Wait, they're they're fleeing. Did they fill out the form to flee? No, get the form <laughs> to pursue." <laughs> and he's like, "Do you have authorization? I need the authorization form for the authorization to perform." Like, like it's like this bureaucratic like nonsense just for them to pursue after their enemy. And you're like, "Oh man!" Like it's you know, of course it's like a, it's a comment on that, but I think that's so true. I think people. You know, we we are almost maybe ashamed in a way that we're the small company because we think we have to be these big guys. But I think you're absolutely right. Like being the small guy carries sometimes way more weight. And I think, I don't know, I'd also love to get your, your perspective on this. Like post-coronavirus in this world, I think people are starting to realize that, hey, you know what, maybe the big guys aren't the way that we should be going. I think we want to work with a small business. I know a lot of people that I've talked to have specifically said, I'm, you know, even though I'm going to pay more to go with a small company, I want to support those little guys. Cause it's just, it's so much more important now. What, I mean, what's been your experience of that? Anything in that, in that arena? Yeah. I, I think, I think being a smaller company is actually a superpower these days um, because you know, big companies don't always have the answers. And just because you're a small company doesn't mean that you're not going to perform well. I honestly feel I've done both in business where I've gone with a big company and a small company. And every time I go with a smaller company, you get better customer service, you get uh, better output and you get better results. I feel like because you're, you're important to that small business. And when you are a bigger business and, and I'll say this for myself, like as our business grew and the more employees we had, the smaller customers that we had that were, were like super important to us. I don't want to say we're less important, but they didn't get the attention they deserved as we grew and got bigger. And so some of the smaller uh, 
people that we did business with actually went to smaller businesses because they're like, well, you guys used to be great at customer support, but now it's kind of like, we realize that we're a, a small company to you and you guys are growing really fast. And so we don't feel like we're getting, you know, what we need from you guys. So we're going to have to go with someone smaller. So I honestly feel like being a small company is is a definitely a superpower and as long as when you scale if you can continue to keep that same feel as a small business and you can you can have significant growth people will stick around and and give you their business so that's that's how i feel about it anyway that's awesome and i i fully agree man i, I think i think it is a superpower i love that that should, we need to get a t-shirt for that small businesses are superpowers or something like right. that <laughs> yeah yeah for sure for sure um, okay, so I want to ask you about something else that you said. You said, hey, like, you know, when you're building this company, you were the visionary. Talk more about that. What So what, what does it mean? To, like, what does that mean for you? What did that mean for your company? Um, and then I think the, the more important part of that is how did that play into um, your vision play into the business? You know, did you have to change your vision and get out of your own way with that? Or did your employees have to get out of their own way so that your vision could be accomplished or something in between? So, okay. So some of both, like it's like it both, like when it, obviously when you start a business, you end up doing everything yourself, right? You're right. like running the operation. But then what happens is, is once you get to a certain level, you can't run everything yourself. Like, I don't care if you're an expert in, let's say, sales. If you give an expert in sales too many hats to wear where they're doing too much, where it's not just sales, it's they're maybe doing a little bit of accounting, they're doing a little bit of putting proposals together, they're doing too much. Eventually, what happens is that person becomes mediocre at everything. And what they were an expert in, they're no longer an expert, and they can't get anything done. So that basically happened to me. So as a visionary, when I started the business, I knew the outcome was I wanted to sell the business. I knew it. So what I did was I studied a lot of people that had the ability to sell their businesses and understand what they did. And it's pretty much get out of your own way. And what a lot of business owners don't realize is they are the bottleneck within the business because maybe they have to look at every proposal that goes out. Maybe they have to take every single call. Well, they're, they're slowing the business down and they're not able to scale and they're the bottleneck. And so I had to get out of my own way, right? So I was the expert within the business um, that knew everything. But there were other people that I had to hire that were also experts, and I had to let them take the reins in certain areas like, uh, you know, sales. Uh, I, had to, I had to get a, a sales manager. I had to get salespeople to do all the sales. That way I could focus on scaling the business. And so there was a lot of aspects. Accounting. I knew nothing about accounting when I got into uh, business. And most business owners don't know about accounting. And this would be my recommendation. You should learn accounting. It's the cornerstone of the business. And so I had to hire a CFO and I hired a CFO because what ended up happening, we were growing so quickly. We took the girl who was answering phones and we were like, all right, we're going to put you in accounting. And we kind of showed her some stuff, but because she didn't understand accounting, she just, she didn't know what she was doing. And it was my fault because I put her in a position that she didn't really understand uh, what to do and why you do it. Um, and right. so we ended up owing the IRS like $80,000 in, um, oh, wow. payroll taxes. Yeah. Which is like terrible. Like payroll taxes right. are like one of the things that the IRS can actually take your house for. And so and we they're coming this, to get it. They're, they're, it's not like, Oh, we'll let it slide for a while. It's like, no, you, you are paying that. No. So yeah. So exactly. So here's what happened. Uh, a couple of things happened all in tandem. We owed the IRS. $80,000. I got a letter saying you owe us 80 grand. And I was like, Oh my God, I like freaked out. I was like, what are we going to do? And I was like, 
I was like, just send them a check for $10,000. Let's just start chipping away at this. Send them a check for $10,000. Um, and so we paid him 10 grand. And then we got another letter. We still owed him $80,000. And I was like, how's that possible? The $10,000 we sent him just paid like penalties and interest. And oh, I was like, geez. oh my God. I was, so I was like freaking out. Right. So I realized at that point, I put the wrong person in the wrong place. This can't, I can't do this. this. This is not good. Secondly, I had over a half a million dollars in receivables that wasn't being received. Like we were cutting payroll. We had over 200 employees. And I'm like, why are we barely making payroll? Like, I don't understand. Like we were like, like barely after we do payroll, we have barely any money in the account. I'm like, what's going on? And so I looked at our accounts receivable. We had over half a million dollars that was sitting there that was not being accounted for like nobody was going after to get the get the money so at that point i was like all right i owe the irs eighty thousand dollars i've got half a million in in ar that needs to be collected i need to get somebody in here who can actually do this job and not just plug somebody in because it's convenient and i think a lot of business owners do that they hire the person that's convenient like oh my my uh friend's sister's looking for a job so i'll go ahead and stick her in accounting and i'll show her what to do so what i did is i went and hired a cfo who then over the next two years would tell me how I could spend my money. So <laughs> I went from like checking my bank account to going, can I, can I actually cut this check? Well, do we have enough money in there to cover it to where she got the books up to date to where at any given time, my books were live. I could go in and see, all right, yeah, we have this much money in our bank account. This much money is going out uh, this much money in AR. And she would tell me, Hey, I'd say, Hey, I want to buy this program or, uh, we need to get an, another server. And she'd be like, all right, well, you you can buy this program, but you can't buy the server. I'm projecting you can buy the server in two months and yada, yada, yada. So she took complete control of that. And I was getting out of my own way. And because of that whole situation, everything got turned around. We ended up paying the IRS off very quickly. All the money got collected. Um, and it was just a game changer for my business. And so, you know, moving forward, I was capable of like whenever I was selling my company, sitting down with acquisitions firms and potential buyers, and they look at your your financial statements, and I could tell whoever was asking questions exactly where everything was, why it was uh, coded in a certain way, and it made my life a lot easier. So that's one example of many of me getting out of my own way, and that was one of the hardest because you're dealing with money, right? So you don't right. you don't want to re relinquish that control to somebody else. I never got, yeah, it was, it's very terrifying because what if I end up, they don't pay taxes again. And I owe, now this time I owe half a million dollars in taxes. And then all of a sudden they're taking my house from me. And I mean, that's, that's a scary factor. So um, being able to relinquish that. And I will say this, I never like handed it off to somebody to where I never looked at it. I did that the first time and that was the mistake. So right. th like we had weekly accounting meetings where we would go over everything um, we had, um, you know, meetings with every person that was in charge of whatever department every single week, just so I would be up to date of what was going on. Perfect. Makes sense. So let me ask you this, um, as far as, you know, finding, especially in that role of, of accounting CFO or any of any, whatever the position title is, but anything dealing with money, how do you go about finding the right person? Like it was, was there like a gut feeling that you had? Was it like, like references, what, what was it that is going to allow you to trust someone at that level? So references, I knew the individual that I hired and okay. I knew that I knew that they had the, the experience that I needed and, and I knew that they had the attention to detail that I needed. And so 
my suggestion in that in a financial role like that is get somebody who is qualified and get somebody who has experience a lot of people want to shortcut it and get somebody who's cheap because it's like well i know what i'm doing well like she came in and she knew stuff i had no i was like she was like telling me stuff. i was like what i was like you're gonna have to show me like what you're talking about and so she would go through like the whole like every single line item of our finances and she was moving things around um for different reasons and i didn't understand why she like the thing about accounting is is you can code stuff however you want to see it right. and most people when they go to their cpa you know the cpa will say this actually happened to me my cpa told me uh i was like i want to code um my website and the asset column and she was like you can't do that and i was like well why not she was like because you can't it's an expense i was like no i need it's an income producing asset and i want to place it in my asset column and she's like well you can't do that i was like explain it to me i was like i'm going to sell my business at some point and i want my website to be in the asset column because it's an income producing asset her response was oh if you're going to sell your business you can do that and so <laughs> that taught me that okay like like I just have to make an argument as to why I want to code something a certain way. And this is a CPA that's been doing it for over 20 years. And here I am, I have no college degree. The only financial experience at this point that I had was the business that I was running. And it's, that's why it's called advice. When you go talk to an attorney, when you go talk to an accountant, when you talk to anybody, it's called advice. And you take whatever they tell you and you utilize that to make the, the most accurate decision you can make on your business and how to run it. Because like her biggest goal was is she wants to save me in taxes, right? She's a CPA. I want you to pay less taxes. But when you're trying to sell a business, you're not trying to save money in taxes. You want to show as much profit as you possibly can. Right. And when you're putting something that's an, that's an income producing asset into an expense column, well, that's uh, depreciating the value of your business. And so I didn't want to do that. I wanted to make it more valuable. So just a little piece of advice there. I think that's huge for people to understand too, right? Like I know uh, one of the things I face a lot, especially with real estate, right? Is like, Hey, like we want to pay less taxes and there's a lot of benefits to having real estate to do that. But at the same time, by, by doing that, you're hampering your ability to do other things. So you got to make sure you understand what is your end goal? What are you trying to do? What are you trying to accomplish? Selling a business or, or being able to sell the business, you know, you show a bunch of expenses. That's good for taxes, bad for selling. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so, and that's, a lot of people, you know, I get it. Like whenever, if you're going to own a business for the next 30 years, yeah, you're going to want to, you're going to want to pay as little tax as you possibly can. And however you do that. But if you're getting into a position where you're like, all right, I'd like to sell this business. There's things that you're going to want to do and change about your business. Um, like showing actual profit, because that's number one, the first question, Hey, is your business profitable? You're like, well, look at the PNL. Yes, it is profitable. Right. And so you're going to want to change some of those aspects, but going back to your original question, how do you find people? Um, there's a reason why with like big tech companies, you see people jumping around from company to company because people poach them from each company. And so what you want to do is find somebody who has that experience in whatever realm it is, instead of having to train somebody you want to, when you run a business like that, you want to be the dumbest person. You want everybody you hire in each position to be smarter than you. Um, and I think entrepreneurs, because we're egotistical, we have a fear of doing that. So we don't want to hire somebody who's better at us in whatever position we want to be the, the know-it-all, but get out of your own way and hire someone who's smarter than you because they're going to take your company further than you can. Totally true. Totally true. Every time, every time I've plugged in people who are smarter than me, we've had better results than, than the vice versa. <laughs> right. Right. And, the, and then here's the other thing. 
you learn from them. Like you're hiring the smartest that you can find that'll come work for you. Um, it, you're going to end up learning so much more from them. And even if that person wants, and I'll use it in my case, say the, 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 bu the only buffer from what I paid the girl that I plugged into accounting versus the CFO, I think the, the difference in salary was like 25 grand, which in the grand scheme of things, I owed 80. I was going to say, yeah, on. right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So the, in the grand scheme of things, 25,000 is nothing to make sure everything is running correctly and everything is done right. And we, we even got audited. Uh, a couple, like we had a, a sales tax audit and then we got audited by the IRS and the IRS was even like, man, you guys keep really good records. And I'm like, yeah, well, it wasn't me. It was my, if it was up to me, the IRS would have been like, uh, Here, here's my shoebox. Good luck. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> what do you, how do you even run this business? This, this is crap. Um, but because we had the person that we had, she was a complete badass and I didn't have to worry about it. I love it. I love it. So one of the things that I would love, love to talk about is um and so f just for for context um tommy and i met through a group called thrive which is all about adding a purpose into your business and so i know that you were able to very effectively um after that event of like man like i love this idea plug that in and build a purpose into your so i'd love for you to talk a little bit about what that purpose was and then sort of you know what was the conversations at the business at that point around doing that about around building that in and around saying, okay, this is something that's important to me that I want to do. How do we make this work in the business? Yeah. So obviously we, we met because of thrive and I went to the, the very first year of thrive and I remember sitting in the audience and, you know, Cole teaches how to build a for purpose business. And that's where you give back to the community or, or give back in any way you want. Right. And so I'll never forget, he gave Tom's shoes as an example. And for every pair of shoes they sell, they give a pair away. And I'll never forget, I was sitting in the, in the audience and I was like, man, that sounds expensive. I was like, <laughs> you gotta be making a lot of money to be able to do that, you know? And most businesses aren't that profitable. There's a difference between paper profit and actual profit. And I'm thinking most businesses, when they show profit, it's just paper profit, it's not real profit. And but then he said, well, what they do is they bake in the price of the shoes that they give away into the, to the pair that gets sold. And I'm like, I'll never forget. I looked at my business partner. I said, we got to do that. And so what we ended up doing is we ended up raising our prices and not very much like, you know, like the typical contract that we would sell would be anywhere between like the lowest would probably be like a $30,000 contract. And then they go all the way up to millions of dollars worth of contracts. And I'm thinking, all right, so in a $30,000 contract, if you raise your price by 10%, nobody's going to go with you because you're going to be so expensive. So we would do little things like on a contract value, raise it by 1%. There were certain, there, there were other things that we could raise by, there were items that we sold that uh, we could raise it by 10%. And then there was stuff 5%. So we just went in across the board and we raised all of our pricing by a certain percentage. And then what we did is we picked a charity. So I'm not a, I'm not a charity. I already have a business that I'm running. And so what we needed to do was find a charity that we knew that, that our money was actually going to make a difference. And I had a friend from high school named Kenny who started a company called preservation of life, uh, a nonprofit, I should say, uh, preservation of life. And they feed 1500 kids a day. And so basically we were like, you're our charity. This is what we're doing it for. And so we just started donating money like monthly to his, his cause. And the cool thing about that is, is obviously we knew each other. So I knew that he was ethical with the money we were giving him, but at any, at any given time we could go, Hey, we want to come to one of your sites where you're feeding the kids. And we did, we would go to go every now and then we'd go to the sites to see what our money was doing. And I'll tell you, man, it was a, 
we actually shot a video. Uh, it was for Thrive, and we hired a, a film director to shoot this like mini movie, like a short. And in the middle of shooting, where these kids are getting fed, I mean, these are kids. They're kids. Fifteen hundred kids in Houston a day don't know where the next meal is coming from. And in the middle of like shooting this little of the kids eating and stuff like that, the director put the camera down and walked outside. And I was like, oh, what? I was like, what's going on? So I walked outside. He had tears in his eyes. He's like, man, he's like, this is unbelievable. He's like, you know, like I'm over here, like stressing out about stupid stuff. And then I come here and these kids don't even know where they're going to get the next meal. He's like, I cannot believe that this is happening. And I commend you guys for what you're doing. And he was just super emotional. He, he stood outside for like 15 minutes before he could prepare himself to go back in and continue to film what was That's going amazing. on in this room. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, just getting that, the, the, I mean, the idea is to, I mean, if every entrepreneur was a, a for purpose business and everyone always thinks, Oh, oh, oh I, don't, I don't make enough money to give money away. Well, you don't have to do that. If you sell a course, you can give your course to people who are underprivileged. You can, you know, if you're a soccer coach, you can go to the local school down the street where they have no athletics department and start like teaching kids how to play soccer. It doesn't, you can give your time. It doesn't have to be money. It just so happened when we learned about this, we were a thriving business. So we could do what we wanted to do, which was raise our prices a little bit to be able to give some of that money away to a cause that we believed in and supported. So, I mean, it was heartbreaking knowing that there's all these kids that don't know where they're gonna get their next meal from. And, and so especially that's in your backyard being right there too. Yeah, I, I remember when he told me, I was like, all right, you're feeding some kids. Like, I'm like, you're, wait, you're doing 1500 a day? Not a month, a day? That's insane. And they continue to grow it, and um, and they're still doing well. So, that, I mean, it, it really made me happy to be a part of that. That's amazing. That's amazing. So let me ask you this. What, was there was there pushback internally from the company about, you know, this, this doesn't make sense? Or was everyone was everyone on board with like, yeah, this is a great idea. Let's, let's go go for it. Uh, or did it not so matter? The, you're just like, this is what we're going to do. It, it didn't like, it, it did matter. It didn't matter. I don't recall there being pushback. I mean, if there was, it was only from like a standpoint of like, hopefully we don't end up going too expensive to where people don't, are no longer buying from us. So that would have been the only pushback. But it actually had the opposite effect, especially on the sales team. Because the sales team could now understand instead of talking dollars, because I mean, obviously, when you have a sales meeting, you talk about dollars, like what your deficit is, or, or how well you're doing. And all they cared about was like, so how many, so how many meals did this buy us? Like what, like how many kids did we feed with this? And so like sitting down, it was like, all right, so, so this past week, we generated this much revenue, which equates to, you know, 700 meals or whatever the, the numeric was. And that's what was I felt like, became exciting for the sales team, because now they know that, yeah, they got commissions and stuff, but now they're also making a difference. Like with every with every sale that they get committed, they're they know that they're going to feed a kid, and so that was exciting for them. And it kind of changed the culture of the business to know that we're a for purpose business instead of just a business that's they're just trying to generate profits and and whatever. So it it absolutely made an impact, I think, on everybody. And I think also in in our employees' personal lives, they started wanting to do better, like you know, to where they would donate money or whatever it was or whatever they could do to make a difference in whatever cause they believed in. That's really cool. That's something I never, never really thought about. I was like, Hey, how does this, how does this impact your culture of your company? Um, whether you've got one person or, or 200 people, you know, 
can we, if you, if you are the leader showing this is what we're doing, how we're doing it and what we care about, people start to follow leaders that are, that are like that. So that's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, it was exciting to see like how people just started to gravitate. And then the other thing too is, you know, not that we ever use it as a marketing pitch. We never did. You know, like it's funny because when I told my CPA about it, she, her first question was like, are you doing this like for a marketing pitch or you like really want to help people? And like originally I was like, yeah, I don't really want anybody to know. I just want to do it because we can. And if we can, we should be doing it. Um, you know, and so she was like, okay, good. That's the answer I wanted to hear. And so like when people come in to interview and they find out that you're a for purpose business, they gravitate more towards that than somebody that's not doing the same, you know, and when I'll never forget when Cole told that story, you know, about like how to make your business for purpose. I remember looking and having the feeling looking at my business partner going, we should be doing more like in having that feeling. I know that I can be doing more. We need to be doing more than what we're currently doing. And there was like almost like a feeling of guilt. Like how come I didn't know this before? And so taking that to uh, into our business, it really changed the dynamic of like who we could attract and uh, really like what our employees were willing to do, because now it's, it's more than just making money. We're, we're changing these these kids' lives. And you know, it's th those kids will never know the difference. They'll never know that we were doing, they, there's just this company out there that was helping people. And and it, it was a good feeling knowing that we had a little bit of an impact on that business to where they can continue to feed more and more kids. That's amazing. And dude, for like, for all of you, all of you listening or watching this right now, I, I implore you to say, what can you do? And like Tommy said, it doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to be money. It can be time. It can be anything. But what can you do to build some form of purpose in your business? Because I do truly believe in the cause of, of doing that. And um, obviously, you know, you got to make sure one thing I, I guess I will say this is make sure that you can take care of yourself first. Right. So right. One, one of the things I see all the time is people are like, oh, I want to do this. I'm like, OK, well, you're not even paying yourself yet. Make sure you can take care because if you don't have if you're not able to build a business, it doesn't matter because it's not going to be a thing that can help people in the future. So you've got to do that first, but as soon as you can, or you're able to, and again, it doesn't have to be money necessarily. It could be time. Um, you know, I, I think that's an amazing thing for people to do. Yeah. I mean, I, and that's, and I think a lot of people, like I said before, they get stuck in the hole. Like I want to get money. I want to give money. Money's easy to give away. Like it's easy to write a check and go, here you go. Um, and like Bob's just said, like, you have to, there's a reason why when you get on an airplane, they're like, Hey, if the oxygen mask drop down, you need to put yours on first and then put your neighbor or your kids on or whoever is next your to you. Your favorite kid, pick your favorite kid, put that yeah, on first. Pick your favorite kid. That's, <laughs> that, yeah, that's right. But there's a reason for that because if you're trying to put their mask on and you pass out cause you don't have oxygen, now you're both are screwed. But if you put yours on first and so money is the oxygen to your business. So you need to make sure you're paying yourself first and your company is healthy before you try to implement like, giving away any money. That's what I would always recommend. And time is always the most valuable thing. And if you're giving time, I think that means a lot more than any money you could ever give. And um, yeah, I mean, we were just in a position where we could give money. And I did go to the site sometimes and I would volunteer to help do, you know, like secret Santa or whatever we would do. He would want us to, to do like, we would go and help out because I do feel like giving your time and seeing what the cause is, is important that way. It doesn't need to be just a box that gets checked. You need to be committed to whatever cause it is. So don't just pick some random cause that you don't you don't really care about. Pick something that's dear to your heart. And like even if it's helping a friend out, like I have another company called Project Punchline. We do comedy shows. And 
I have one of my friends had a coworker that was dying of cancer and they needed money. So we, he was like, Hey, would you put a project punchline show on for them? I'm like, absolutely. I think we raised like 14 or $15,000 for this family. It wasn't a nonprofit. It was for a person, but right. I felt like that the cause was great enough. So it doesn't even necessarily have to be a nonprofit. It could be like, Hey, you know, you know, your neighbor's struggling to pay rent. I don't know, maybe help them pay rent or, or your neighbor, you live in a, you live in a house and your neighbor is getting too old to mow their grass, mow their grass for them. It can be something as simple as that. It doesn't have to be, oh, giving away hundreds of thousands of dollars. It can just be some time that you provide to somebody else that actually benefits them and helps them. So don't get stuck on the money thing. I love it. I love it. So actually, uh, speaking of Project Punchline, I want to talk a little bit about <clears throat> about that. So you you sell your business, you pack everything up and somehow convince your wife to, or I guess it wasn't your wife then, but soon to be, um, you know, to move out to Los Angeles from Houston and pursue your comedy dream and to build this nonprofit called Project Punchline. So talk a little bit about what Project Punchline is and then talk a little bit about, like, what does it take to just pack up everything and and, and go for it like that? Because I think it's a, it's a crazy it's a crazy thing that not many people would actually do. Yeah. So that was pretty crazy. You know, like you sell a business and then trying to convince she was my girlfriend at the time. Well, we we're engaged actually. So she was my fiance. Um, because that was a caveat. Like she, I wanted her to move with me. She was like, I'm not going to move unless we're engaged. I'm like, all right, noted. Um, yeah. So like ever, ever since I was She's a little like, kid, I always wanted like, to I like you, Tommy, lock it down. Oh yeah, exactly. She was like, uh, that's cool. That's, that's a good idea. But, uh, until you, prove that we're going to be together. Um, you know, <laughs> I'm not going. And so that was, that was a little bit of, um, you know, I had to do some convincing and, and eventually she was like, yeah, let's do it. It was, it was, it was a struggle. You know what I mean? Like, so ever since I was a little kid, I wanted to be a stand up comic and I had, I had those aspirations, but everybody always tells you, Oh, you can't do that. You need to go the more conventional route, go get a good job, yada, yada, yada. Even when I started my business, Barely anybody supported me when I started my business. My my own mother told me it's a bad idea. Keep your job. Um, so obviously, whenever you talk about going to do stand up comedy for a living, they're like, think you're ludicrous. Um, so yeah, so everyone's like trying to talk me out of it and all this. And I had been doing comedy in Houston for four years before I moved, um, but I knew that if I really wanted to really pursue it, I needed to be somewhere the entertainment capital, which is Hollywood. And so I wanted to move and obviously I had aspirations of being an actor and a producer. And so, um, you know, my wife was committed or my fiance at the time was committed. She was like, I'll support you. So we ended up moving out to LA. Um, and the, we were only able to do it because I sold the business. You know what I mean? So like if I hadn't, if that process hadn't happened and come to fruition, then I wouldn't have been able to actually move to LA. So it gave us the ability to move to LA, which was nice. And we, we, were, we ended up living in LA for like a month and then we ended up going to Belize and got, we got married. So um, it, was, uh, it, was, it was interesting and it's still a struggle. Like I'm not gonna sit here and be like, um, it's, you know, it's an easy endeavor because it's not. I mean, stand-up comedy, acting, producing, it's one of the most competitive industries in the world. And you know, I'm doing my best to try to make it here. I still haven't made it. Um, and that's just full transparency and I'm doing what I can. And part of that is, you know, project punchline where I created my own company where we put on comedy events and donate money to notable causes and charities. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a struggle, but I also think that people, the most unhappiest people on the planet 
are the people that don't challenge themselves to the full potential. And so what I'm trying to do is challenge myself to my full potential and be uncomfortable all the time to where um, I'm actually pursuing something that I feel that once it comes to fruition uh, will be very gratifying. And, and that that's amazing. Like I know I've, I've had many conversations with friends and like other business people that, you know, they're not, you know, I mean, I think that's even why, I joined the mastermind in the first place. I was like, I remember sitting there going, man, like I've become very comfortable right now. And that's a problem, right? Recognizing right. that, that, that whole, like things are good. I can keep rolling with what it is and, you know, um, and I'll probably be fine, but I, I want that next level of whatever it is. Um, and so you, you, you pursue that discomfort in doing that. Um, it's very, and I, got, I got the, I got the same way. I got the same way with the company I owned. Like before I sold, I was very comfortable. And because I was, I was comfortable. I was like, this is not right. Like I'm, I'm doing my employees a disservice because I'm comfortable and I'm not, I'm not amped up in, in trying to like scale the company anymore. I'm just kind of like coasting. And, and at that point I was like, I need to get out and do something else. Talk about that a little bit more. So you said you, you feel like you were the employee, you were doing the employees a disservice by not being uncomfortable. What do you like dive a little deeper in there? I like that. Because I, because everything was fine. I, every, like the company ran without me. I could go take a three month vacation and it didn't matter. Like I, I was still making money because I had employees doing all the work. And because I got so comfortable, I was not driving to scale the business. So what that meant is, is like there was a, all of a sudden there's a cap for my employees to where it's like, I'm not trying to scale it. I'm not trying to push it. And so there's really, I don't want to say no future, but like, because I wasn't doing my part to make sure the company was continuing to grow, that I was failing them. And when, when you get to the point where you have over 200 employees, you're working for the employees, they're not working for you. And so because of that, I felt like I was doing them a disservice. And I was like, I need to get somebody to buy this business that's actually going to take it to the next level, because I know that I'm not going to at this point because I'm comfortable. And so I need to do that for them to where they can reach the, the peak of their, their career and actually get to where they want to be. And I need to not hold them back and not be the bottleneck. That's awesome. I, I love for any of you watching or listening to this, like think about whether you have employees or not, like let's, especially if you don't have employees right now, think about what are you doing to create that opportunity for someone who will be your employee at some point, even if you don't today. Um, Cause I know sometimes I, I don't know about you guys, but I have a habit of like, man, if I don't, if I don't understand why something's applicable to me, I'll kind of check out of the idea. But I think that this is fully applicable, whether you have or don't have employees. And obviously, if you do, the advice is directly applicable, but um, I love it, too. Well, yeah, nobody, fantastic- nobody, wants, nobody wants to work at a dead-end job. Nobody wants to be like, there's no room for growth anymore. I've reached the peak level. And so, like, True. I mean, you got to think, think about that with yourself. Like, you, you wouldn't want to work at a dead-end job. So, yeah, keep that in mind. Yeah, that's true. Well, dude, I, this has been a fascinating conversation. We went a lot, a lot of places. Uh, what I love about this uh, this process that I've been going through with this show more than anything else is that I never quite know exactly where it's going to go. Like I know the starting point. I have a few key highlights, but the path of where we wind in each of my conversations I've had has been phenomenal for me. Um, just because, A, I get to learn cool things about people that I'm like, man, I didn't even know about that. And B, there's always great advice along the way. It's like, uh, like Salt Bay, just sprinkling good stuff all, all over the place yeah yeah for sure so thank you um so if people want to connect with you um learn more about you or, or, or uh, converse with you where can they find you 
uh, Instagram, uh, at Tommy Barrett's, uh, I mean, even if someone has like a business question, they can email me, Tommy at selableinc.com. Um, and you know, like people will shoot me questions sometimes and I'll do my best to answer like whatever questions they may have about like an acquisition or business or whatever. Perfect. 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 Well, thanks so much, so much for being on. Truly appreciate you and your time. And, uh, for everyone that's watching or listening, thank you for checking in. Thank you for being here. Um, as always, please make sure you subscribe, rate, and review this, either YouTube show or podcast, whatever platform you listen. Your subscription rating and review helps this get out to more people, which is super important because we can't help more unless we have people doing that. So appreciate you each for doing this. As always, uh, any of the books, references, emails, Tommy's contact information will always be available in the show notes. You can go check those out. And uh, again, thanks, Tommy, for being on. Truly appreciate it. Yeah, dude. Thanks for having me on. I had a blast, bro. All right. Take it easy, guys. This podcast is sponsored by 3 Degrees Consulting. If you need funnels, websites, paid ads management, or help with any of your digital marketing, 3 Degrees Consulting is your go-to source for everything. Check them out at www.go3dc.com. That's G-O, the number three, D is in degrees, C is in consulting.com. Go check them out right now. <laughs>